0: I like talking about things you're not supposed to talk about. Like, I just find it interesting. I've, like, I say in the special, like, I have a little bit of gold. Like, I say I have money and you're not supposed to say that. Like, it gets a laugh because it's you're not supposed to say it. So people then laugh at it. But I like saying, like, I have depression. I'm a star fucker. I'm my dad. Like, I like saying that stuff because it it's again, it's a bit of an eight mile thing where it's like, I am white. I am a fucking bum. I do live in a trailer with my mom. Like, you sort of take people. It's like, what's the worst thing you can say about me? Okay, I just said it. So what else do you have? Let's start the show. When the world gets uncomfortable, it's
1: time to tell a joke. Comedy has always been a way to cope with and trivialize the demons that exist in our world. To laugh is the brief respite against the unfathomable. The result is never meant to offend, and if it does, well, it only brings to focus issues we've sequestered away as a society, and comedians are the brave navigators to these truths. Neil Brennan, American comedian, writer and director, known for the recent Netflix special Three Mics and Chappelle Show co-creator, yes, that Chappelle Show, has never shied from the truth and is so very uncomfortable. Those who tell the jokes. Those who hover close to the chaos, while at first a visitor to the abyss, whether willingly or unwillingly, they tend to find themselves trapped with a permanent residency.
0: I feel like comedy belongs in like a a dark, dark, dank, moist place. It's like the place where like mushrooms, mushrooms and comedy grow next to each other. (laughs) Like whenever I see people in comedy like getting dressed I'm just like, eh. Shit's not funny. You're not getting funnier if I'm going to the Emmys or the Oscars. Like, you're just not. It comes from pain, heartache, rejection, humiliation. We've all heard of the comedic
1: geniuses who've died too soon. When the world gets uncomfortable, it's time to tell a joke. But for those who tell these jokes, maybe the world is too uncomfortable. As for Neil Brennan, there's been a lot of jokes to tell. Full disclosure though, before we begin. A. This episode contains a lot of coarse language. And B. Well, we were fortunate to meet up with Mr. Brennan in a chance encounter in Hong Kong, so shout out to James for this. And this story has been in the vault for some time, um, always like a work in progress, maybe because it's of the subject matter, the complexity, or even the approach to the story itself. But there's been this underlying question we found that hits quite close to home especially since many of the friends we've met in the creative field or people in our family have expressed the same notions and concerns and ideas and issues. So we've talked to Neil about his comedy, his depression, how he's dealt with it, and at the same time, we'd like you to consider the correlation between depression and creativity. Behold, Simi, life, real life, a thing that we have been denied for far too long. Good morning, my neighbors! Hey, fuck you! Yes. Yes! Yes! Fuck you too!
0: Like, I have a reputation for being blunt. The world is constantly talking to you, and just, it's mostly garbage. So it gives you a chance to be like, hey, world, you're so full of shit, and here's why. And then you get to, like, counter, you get to counter all the things the world's telling you. And like the argumentative person in me loves that. I feel like people are in comedy because they're like, well, what else are you going to do to me? Like if I fail at this, it's still more interesting than if I fail at anything else. Like I'd rather fail at this than the other things I've been failing at. So uh, and there's a bit of a. There's something about doing stand up that is suicidal, meaning where I say I liken it to like jumping out of a plane and you just got to hope the shoot opens.
1: I'm gonna jump or jerk off. <laughs> That's my man. <laughs>
0: it's a, there's a huge risk. But if you're dissatisfied to begin with, the risk is minimized because you're like, I'm not I'm not flourishing now, so I'd rather risk failure at that and than, than this like this parade of failure that I've been involved in. The parade of boredom and failure and anonymity and desperation, quiet desperation that I'm I'm that my life is now.
1: To create. For some it's for validation, others a catharsis, or even a bit of both, and in an overall an underlying need to express. One thing Neil is right about is the risk. It's the price of admission and you really need to be this high to get on. But what motivates us? To prove we have something inside? Is it cause we've nothing to lose? Who are we doing it for? In this case, how did Neil Brennan's Netflix comedy special 3 Mics come about?
0: I did an hour on, on Comedy Central called Women and Black Dudes that I'm a big fan of. I've liked it a lot, but it didn't really have much impact. So I knew, like, all right, well, I'm not doing another just straight talking for an hour special because no one cares.
1: Today, The Chappelle Show equals comedic cultural phenomena. And at some stage in your life, someone probably has shouted at you. I'm Rick James, bitch. Half hidden in the writing credits was Neil. For the most part, Neil's influence was not quite publicly known, even more so when the show abruptly ended. While some in the industry knew parts of the truth, there was a lot more to the story, a story that Neil felt compelled to tell.
0: I was like, I knew that I needed to kind of tell a fuller story of myself, because otherwise, uh, I'm just like Dave's partner. Like at best, like ah, oh, you're that dude who Show,' and then you got into an argument with Dave. Maybe some people, some people know that, some people don't. Um, so I wanted to talk about things that were not, that kind of things that I wanted to like. Well, the depression part I wanted to like, just get out there. In recent years, the term clinically depressed has
1: been thrown around casually as a punchline for sadness. Ironically. The conversation is taken way more seriously when it's from an actual comedian talking about his own depression
0: in earnest. Whenever I would talk about it on podcasts, people would be like, hey man, I really appreciate you talking about that and whatever. So I knew that it was it would resonate with people and it has like on on Instagram probably or Twitter on a daily basis, somebody, at, when the special first came out, it was like 10 people at, a day and now it's one or two a day of people like thanking me for talking about it and I've had I had people come up to me and be like, "Dude, now my I feel like my wife will understand me better, or I understand my wife better, or I understand." So that's been great because I don't have any shame about depression. Like I'm like I don't give a shit. It's like fucking having like a, having like a high blood pressure or something. Like I at least high blood pressure. You you probably ate too much sodium. I did nothing. It just happened to me. So I'm happy to talk about that and. And then the, the middle one, the the second one, about star-fucking and standing, you know, sort of being more um, open about, be more, like wanted to do stand-up and instead of just being a writer and being self, more self-determining.
1: Three Mics was part stand-up, part work in progress, and part confessional, all done in between the transition of three microphones on a stage. Now, if you've seen it, You'll notice that Neil was extremely heartfelt and candid, and perhaps by turning the topic inward towards himself, something other than laughter was taking place—empathy and understanding—through a transformative and subversive body of
0: work. That was like a combination, like telling on myself for being a star fucker, and also I don't know if they what the Olympic coverage on TV is like over here, but in America they always have like a backstory for the athletes. Like he used to, he couldn't his mom worked at the pool and he used to have to swim from midnight to three in the morning just all those like backstories and it makes you appreciate the person I felt like I needed to have some kind of backstory because otherwise it was like who is this dude like I said it was like he's Dave's old partner but him and Dave got into a fight and and no one's gonna side with me against Dave so it was like alright I just need to sort of explain who I am and how I got here and what led to this and kind of letting people, like, know that, like, hey, you like me. You don't know it, but, like, you've liked the things I've done. So you should, you maybe could give me a chance. I actually had a dream last night that I did another Three mics show. And people were like, you're doing it again? And I was like, yeah. But meanwhile, I, like, don't have any sad stories and any more sad stories. And I don't have any more one-liners, so I kind of can't do another. 3 mic show. But in my brain, I, my, my dreams, I was doing it. I
1: guess this means you like me. You really like me. You like me. You really like me. When we finally got around to asking Neil about his depression and his thoughts about it, it's funny to think about how guarded we were when we asked him. I mean, he was super open with it, super candid, but we approached each question like we were walking on glass. Thankfully, it's with the same frank nature in which she connected with so many through a show that dispelled any furtive attitudes we had about this taboo subject. In retrospect, why were we so nervous about talking about depression?
0: Have you tried putting a bag over your... Like, it's not... It's not easily explained away. It's also not a, uh... Like... Yeah, it's just not... It's not like a choice that it's like sneezing, where you're just like, oh, you know what you gotta do? Yeah, I guess it's just not a choice. It's not, it's just like a thing that, it's it's an affliction, but it's not like a a uh, thing that like, ah, you just got to run more. Have you been outside? Like, you need fresh air. It's, no, you need medicine. It's not like, well, let's, I'm going to tickle you. <laughs> it's just another thing. Like, you don't need to go into the other room and talk about it in hushed tones. Like, uh, it's like anything else. Like, that's like the evolution of society of like, homosexuality is not a choice you don't need to be like I think he might be you know what I mean like in in same with depression like you don't need like it doesn't need to be uh stigmatized in any way it's just like it's literally like high blood pressure is not a good example it's like having a sciatica or something it's just like I don't I need to do something about this like or having like needing glasses like I'm not ashamed, although I am pretty ashamed of having to wear glasses. I'm kidding. I've actually gotten, I'm cuter with glasses, it turns out. So thanks, guys.
1: Nice glasses, four eyes. <laughs> yeah, nice shoes. Uh, two feet.
0: If you just feel isolated or feel like, uh, like you don't get, I mean, there's plenty of things that I, like that in society that I'm like, I don't get it. But if there's too many of them, <laughs> If you don't experience joy, if you see people enjoying themselves and you're like, I don't get it, that's pro- you probably have depression. Uh, I can spot it. It's like a countenance thing. It's just like their their uh, overall energy or vibe. I can just be like, oh, you need medication.
1: Neil's been known to keep a handful of influential friends from the realm of entertainment and fashion. Therefore, he gets a firsthand look into the experiences of others. While these comments were made prior to Kanye West's most recent reactivation of Twitter, it suggests that there may be some subtle clues around what depression entails. Thoughts are always besides the
0: I can always tell when depre- when rappers are depressed, like, oh, you just need medication. Like where everyone was saying Kanye was like, oh, Kanye, I remember Chappelle and another buddy of mine were t- had seen Kanye and they're like, he seemed in great spirits. And I was like, no, he didn't. I can tell you he's having a manic episode. Like, and they were like, he's in- nope, nope, having a manic episode, needs medication, and like, ended up, I was right. Like, it doesn't give me any pleasure, but it's like, you can, you can, uh, you can just tell. It's like someone's heat signature or whatever. Like, you can just, like, oh, okay. Yeah, you have a little something. Well, what was funny is people saying, like, son, I didn't know that shit about you. Like, people didn't know. Like, they thought I just didn't give a fuck, or they thought I was just, like, quiet, or they thought I was just.
1: Just say it out loud. Just see how it feels. It's clear that Neil thinks depression should be out in the open. Empathy over sympathy. That being said, depression isn't simple and it's not something you can just try to fix overnight. So where do we start?
0: I guess it's like just don't judge the person any more than you would judge them if they were nearsighted. Just accept them for... And it's, all, it's also a thing of like smile. Why don't you try smiling? It's not that simple. So yeah, so that's the thing of like, I guess just like be patient and don't stigmatize them or feel like feel bad about their thing. or So that's sort of where I'm coming from.
1: I'm gonna have fun and you're gonna have fun. We're all gonna have so much fucking fun We'll
0: need plastic surgery to remove our goddamn smiles. You'll be whistling zippity doo out of your assholes.
1: For those who live outside the dark, their eyes never truly adjust. We want to see and there's a frustration because in a way, there's nothing we feel we can do. Empathy and compassion, while both virtues Both also take a need to patience. Patience that there is perhaps something out there that can help. For Neil, this came through understanding that he had to do something about it.
0: Enter medication. People are like, oh, you take medication? I'm like, dude, who do you think is better, an athlete that takes PEDs or not? Who do you think is better, someone on steroids or not on steroids? Like, I want to have more fun. I want to experience more. So I'll take fucking anything. I don't think it's cheating, I don't think it's like a cop-out, I don't think it's weak, I don't think it's any of that stuff. I think it's just like, okay, cool. Uh... I remember when I started taking... Zoloft and I was like 23 and I said to a friend of mine like hey, I think I understand why people dance now
1: (laughs) For those unfamiliar Zoloft is a prescribed antidepressant belonging to a group of drugs called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors SSRIs which affects chemicals in the
0: brain that may be unbalanced in people with depression panic anxiety or obsessive-compulsive symptoms Like prior to that. I just didn't under I was like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? It's a feeling of alienation uh, And feeling like a feeling different that eventually you just go like, oh, I'm I'm like, they can't all be wrong. Like the norm can't be wrong. Like the norm of like, are we having fun or like love and fun and happiness and all that stuff is like, well, I did Zoloft for like nine years and it was great. And then it stopped working. Then I tried probably five different pills, five different, and then ketamine. It's a horse tranquilizer and people use it for as an antidepressant now and it just didn't work for me it was like you it's a drug it's like a heavy drug that's like a party drug i think this dose was either a huge dose or a tiny dose i don't remember um and you're in a doctor's office tripping your fucking face off um but it just didn't it didn't work for me long term
1: so while medication works it's important to know that it's not a solution it's not a solution that sort of language is almost dismissive. The path to wellness is fraught with paths as complex as getting there. And it's important to know that if one thing works, it might just be temporary. In Neil's case, it was a path of evolving experimentation to find out what worked best for him.
0: Uh, TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation, that's the one where they, um, they hook a thing up to your head and sort of sh- shoot MRI beams into your head and that worked great. They just like shoot, like, and it doesn't feel like anything. It just feels like a weird tapping. Uh, and I'm back on. Long story short, TMS worked. I wasn't on anything. Then, speaking of of uh, performance enhancing drugs, I was talking to a guy. He had some HGH that he could give me. It was like cream, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll take HGH." So I started taking HGH, just rubbing it on my arms. Uh, within two weeks, I was having panic attacks which I've never had in my life. Stopped taking HGH, kept getting panic attacks. Probably my worst moments were the week before three mics, I was getting panic attacks on stage. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? It was crazy. And that was due to the HGH and all that stuff, so. Uh, But once I stopped taking it, it was cool.
1: As Neil continued to talk about his experiences with his treatments, one underlying theme seems to permeate his motivations. Again, there's a feeling of wanting to be included, accepted, and understood, but more so with a sense of urgency. Cliché as it sounds, living Living in in the the now now is something we all aspire towards, especially when one considers how short life is.
0: I was like on some, like, misery is way cooler, and now I'm like, like, I don't, I don't like I don't care if I ever make a cool a popular thing again if I'm happy like I truly don't care I'd like to but um, but it comes down to like you know I'm like it's such a macabre thing to say but like we all fucking die we all die so like death is the equalizer meaning there's certain people when they die you're like fuck he can die trying to think of a good example of that but those prints where prints actually like wait what print huh there's a woman who lives who's like the there's a woman who lived uh literally lives behind my next door to me in la and uh she wrote a movie and i would always whenever someone would come over i go guess what movie she wrote and people go what i go (laughs) E.T. You're like, no one fucking wrote E.T. No, she did. And she just died. So, like, everyone died. Shakespeare, dead. Uh, Mussolini, dead. Like, great, horrible. Some Just some dude, some lady, some... Well, first of all, this comedian named Gary Shanling died like a year ago. And Gary was uh, popular in the States and he had like a big... He had a popular TV show. He had a couple popular TV shows. And then after he did the TV shows for like the last 15 years of his life, he didn't really work that much. And he would meditate and box and he would go to Hawaii a bunch. And everybody thought it was kind of weird. But I was like, man, that's the way to do it if you don't have to work. Um, and so that's kind of and then he died. And I kept thinking like, oh, well, he's or I, I thought about like Shakespeare and like, hey, you know what Shakespeare is right now? Mud so a lot of good it did him to like not like he didn't i hope he had fun that's my only takeaway is like did what did he accomplish what's his legacy what's his they still do his work good good for him he's still dead um and uh and so i'm just more in in touch with like i want to have fun today on clearly on my terms i'm not like Uh, my standard for fun hasn't changed. I consider writing fun. I consider doing stand-up fun. I consider arguing fun.
1: While sadness is a great catalyst for creation, wherein we might discover and heal through the process, it's easy to forget this moment and focus on the expectations. Like, if I do X, I'll get Y. And in turn, we'll fall into a vicious cycle. We create because we're sad, but stay that way since we judge our work's results and thus ourselves. From there, we continue to create each time further and further away from the original calling. However, if you do this cycle enough times, maybe, just maybe, you can learn and be aware of this perspective from the process.
0: I still don't know what gives me inspiration, but I think perspective is never bad. So, maybe it will, maybe it won't. That's the thing, is I'm trying not to see... In the last six months or so, I've gotten way more sanguine, I think is the word, um, about like I'm way less work oriented. So uh, I'm more interested in like I want to have fun today. I don't want to like I I don't I'm trying not to put my like self-esteem in with my work stuff, which is what I did forever, which is what I did for like my whole career and like waiting for things to. Like as I talked about in three mics, it's like I didn't get a lot of like support or self worth from my father, especially, and there was sort of like competition and all this stuff. So it was I was always like a lot of my inspiration for achievement was like I'll show them. And then what you realize is like no one's even paying attention. Like no one's like uh, people. It's sort of like everyone's running their own race and and having their own sort of inner monologue and they're barely like, Oh yeah. Like sometimes I'll catch it when, when people like introduce me at comedy shows, like they'll be like this guy and it's very positive. And I'm like, Oh, is that what people think of me? Cause I assume everyone thinks I'm like a fraud. And, um, so it, what it did, it was a bit of an engine for achievement, but like I said, in three mics, it got me a lot of like ego and adrenaline. Now there's a Prince quote that I've never I read in an article like right after he died, um, where he said he was someone's like write another hit so you can do be a huge star again, and he goes um, he goes look man I've been to the mountaintop there's nothing there, uh, which is great and no one ever says that there's such a push to achieve things, I love an American where they go you gotta work hard and you gotta play hard it's like I'm not gonna fucking play hard shut up. Like, let me relax and enjoy myself. So, um, so I, I say all this as somebody that's fairly accomplished and has made some money. So it's easy for me to go like, you guys, see, the thing is everyone should relax. I don't, I, I think everyone should relax, but at the same time, it's easier for me to say because I have some money.
1: So does it ever get better? Are we having fun yet? What's the point of it all? More importantly, who are we doing it for? Floating through time and frozen in a moment, we're living in a culture of distraction vying for our finite attention, a momentary tonic for what ails us. And when our collective boredom isn't being pulled apart or ennui by this need for validation, we might find ourselves asking, why am I doing this? Perhaps it should be, what am I doing? And in the end, does it even matter? Ironically, for a comedian whose survival depends on whether people get it or not Neil seems to get it the most
0: You're on the making website and you're I'm Neil Brennan and I hope you fucking learned something <laughs> I don't know what you what you came here for but I hope whatever it was whatever you came here for I hope I uh, delivered Thank you Whose footprints are these? What was that noise?
1: This story was written, produced, and mixed by myself, <laughs> Kevin Chow, a.k.a. Gold Mountain. Photos of this story which are visible on <clears throat> www.makin.com. were shot by Chris Lim and Eugene Kahn. Illustrations are the work of Jeremy Leung, thank you for that. The rest of the team includes Alex Malin, Nathan Ken, Sharice Poon, Elphick Wu, and Alex Rose. Thanks for listening, guys.